The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Top five movies. Movies. Top hey everybody welcome to a special episode of burke reviews top five movies um i'm john burke and with me this week is Corey star hello hello and our special guest brennan maloney greetings and salutations not his first time on the podcast as he was uh just on the recent oscar draft episode but we thought we'd have him on to uh, talk and get to know Brandon a little better. Um, talk about some of his uh, movie interest and what's coming out this year in 2018. Um, ask him some movie questions and then get into his personal all-time top five list that Corey and I will then scrutinize um, and criticize as harshly as imaginable. <laughs> I'm so ready. Less. Yes! Um, because, Brandon, I don't know, uh, you don't have an Instagram Um do not. But if you did, you might know that I watched a ghost story this afternoon um, <laughs> in preparation oh, <laughs> for this uh, this episode. No, uh, it, actually, all the talk about it the other night made me want to rewatch it, um, and I've been listening to the soundtrack all day, so I had no choice. Uh, <laughs> um, but when I came home to put it on, and I also um, I started a thing this year. Uh, by this year, I do mean 2018 with my students, where I'm putting a movie recommendation on my board for them, and I, I try to give them. More obscure films that they've probably not seen commercials for, that kind of thing. And so this week is a ghost story for them, too. Um, they're encouraged to seek it out. It's not something I show in class, but, you know, and I, I make it very clear that, like, this is a movie that you may not like. It's very possible. Um, and I used you as an example. It's like, I have a friend who hates it, but you might like it, you might it's, not, but either way, it's an experience I think you should have. It's a polarizing movie, for sure. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's, and I use that exact phrasing because I have yet to find someone who's kind of lukewarm on it. It's either like you like it or you hate it, and luckily I for don't me, think there's anywhere to situate yourself <laughs> in between those two. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, I have to. I uh, when I watched it the second time, I did not give it a hundred percent of my attention. I was doing other stuff. That's I'm trying to allow myself like a one or two uh, rewatches a, a a week now, um, so that I can like do other stuff while I'm watching the movie because I'm still. I'm not actively trying to watch a movie a day this year, but I am currently on a streak of uh, the entire year so far. So I'm still going. I'm Nicely afraid done. to let it break because so, I'm like, oh, I just I'm just going to keep this going. Because even when I did the challenge two years ago, I didn't watch one every day. I mm-hmm. you know watched at least seven a week. So like right now, I'm on every day a movie. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I can keep this going. So no no reason to do it other than just like it's become like a point of pride for me for some reason so does it seem easier at that pace than it did at just trying to get seven in a week where you're sitting down watching three movies in a row yeah in in a way um i have like i think that year i kind of trained myself to not watch tv like i don't really have a tv series that i'm like actively watching right now and i did when i started the challenge like i was still watching arrow and flash and brooklyn 99 um, and I think maybe two or three other series, and now I don't really have any of that. Um, and I used to have a, a habit of, like, when I got home from work, I would put on, like, the rerun sitcoms, and that would be, like, my calm down for the day. Like, I'd rewatch How I Met Your Mother or uh, Big Bang Theory or Friends or something. 
and I'm not doing that either. So like when I got ready to start like eating dinner, I just put the movie on. So it, it definitely has kind of become more of my uh, my norm. Nice. But um, we're not really here to talk about me exclusively. We're here more to talk about Brendan, and I like to hear from Corey from time to time. Um, Corey, have you watched any movies recently? Hold on a second. I actually made a list. Oh. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes, <laughs> okay. I, I am. So I'm still sick, as you can all hear. So um, on Saturday or Sunday, I wanted to watch, like, rewatch things that I didn't have to pay attention to because I was really praying for naps. Um, so I rewatched Creepshow and Dead and Buried. Um, I watched Motel Hell, which is, um, it has kind of like a cult following, and I'm going to save everybody their precious time and say they can skip that one, (laughs) even though it's streaming for free on Prime. And then, um, I watched Killing of a Sacred Deer. I'm still on the fence with that one. I don't know if that director, I don't, you know what I mean? There are like some directors where I'm just like gung-ho, like, oh my God, I love this director. I'm going to go see this movie. I'm going to freaking love it. Mm. I love lobster. Way off the mark. Yeah, and it, you, I feel like you can't really count on it. You, it. Like I don't know how to explain that, but like I love the lobster. I watched Dogtooth, and oh my god, I don't ever want to see that movie again in my life. I watched Killing of a Sacred Deer, and I texted John like ten minutes in, and I was like, "What's happening? <laughs> I'm a little disturbed right now." And then um, today I watched Twentieth Century Women, which was more my speed. Ah. I, and that's it. I am a to Yorgos. calm yourself down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely a Yorgos Lanthimos uh, fanboy at this point. I've watched um, four of his, I think, five total movies, but the fifth one is his first film, and I don't believe it's available in America, so I've watched what I can watch. Um, and while I don't know that I could ever rewatch Dogtooth um, for, for some reasons, uh, there's a lot, I think... T- to analyze in all of his films, and I really like that element about him. And I, I loved Killing of a Sacred Deer, so... He definitely likes to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, and I, I, you know, I like filmmakers like that um, in in some ways. Like, I feel like he's doing it with a to make a point. I don't think it's just to make you uncomfortable. Like, I feel like Eli mm-hmm. Roth might be doing what he does just to make you uncomfortable. I think Yorgos Lanthimos makes you uncomfortable, but he's got some social commentary. He's got a message that he's trying to convey. Um, I, I felt like... Um... And I'm sure this was not an intention of the movie at all, but I felt like it benefited from the fact that Dunkirk came out earlier in the year and had that same kid who's the the lead mm. in Killing of a Sacred Deer portrayed as George, like yeah. the selfless boy going into war. And then he's portrayed so differently, much to the opposite. Yeah. I mean, to the point where you're kind of suspending you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, I mean, something's off here, but maybe this is just a eccentric kid and you can't really figure it out. And then, oh boy, it really clobbers you over the head mm. by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I definitely, um, I bought it uh, as soon as I was able to, um, basically, because I really did, I enjoyed it. Although uh, at the critic screening I went to, um, I brought Big Tuna with me to that particular screening and, uh, there was a critic in front of us that when the movie ended, Big Tuna looked at me and was like, I loved it. I'm like, I did too. And the woman said something like, um, man, what did, I wish I remembered her exact quote now. It's something about us being masochist or something like essentially that we like torture. It's something um, that if you like torture porn. Yeah, Yes, that was her if wording. I remember that it, is yeah. the wording. Uh, uh, and I'm, we're just like, no. But, um, what? It, and 
in the essence of the fact that it, the movie felt like torture to her. So she was essentially implying that we must like torture. Um, not literal porn, mm-hmm. but that is yeah. porn has become one of those expressions that we use way too liberally, like food porn and things of that nature now. Um, but yeah, it is. Uh, it is uh, not for everybody, for sure. Um, you know, one of my uh, Lobster is a film I think that is. I've actually heard mixed things on Lobster too, as far as the interpretation. Like some people will find it really funny, which I did. Hilarious. And, and then other people find it darkly. Uh, you know, like a somber look at humanity and, and they don't find the humor in it whatsoever. So um, it, it's definitely, he's not going to be a director for everybody, but if he, if it works for you, it's definitely an enjoyable, um, or at least thought-provoking. I mean, even if you didn't like it, you can't say it didn't make you think. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was, uh, you, you've seen two of his movies, but I was really surprised. I, not No spoilers three. here, folks. I'm sorry, three now, three now. Um, that th- mm-hmm. the ending has closure in it. Which a lot of his films don't. Um, they don't always go the like to the. It almost always seems like he stops just before where you expect it to be. And I felt like this like, movie actually. Go, guys. He went past that and he gives you a little resolution, which he's avoided. I think like in the Lobster, again, no spoilers, but there's no real closure there. He le- he leaves it for the audience to make the decision on what uh, decision was made, and that is not the case with Killing of a Sacred Deer. And I was really surprised. Um, I kind of expected them to cut it. Before the big moment, I wasn't moment. expecting all that. Yeah, yeah, but um, not complaining about that either. I just was shocked because he's one. I, I feel like that's cool that he broke one of his trends. You know that he didn't go with what everyone would expect. Um, like I feel like M Night Shyamalan kind of dug himself into a ditch after Unbreakable, and every one of his movies, you're just waiting for the twist. You're no longer just watching a movie. You're expecting that that one thing that he's known for. Um, and I, I do think that hurt him in the long run. Although he's coming back, um, if the twist ever falls flat again, I think he'll be back where he was after what after the village, and then after you know um, Lady in the Water, and then the happening, and then you know it just progressively gets worse. Last until, Airbender. Ugh. Yeah, that one's a whole other. I don't know what he was thinking, even doing an adaptation. Um, like maybe he thought he could break away from the twist. And the, the twist he like, was oh, thinking, hey, over. they're going to give me all this money to make this movie. True, true. And <laughs> no one else is offering me anything. And then After Earth. Ugh, good. Okay. Sorry, M. Night Shyamalan. I'm, I'm excited for Glass, um, which apparently they're editing uh, already. So. Oh. Yeah, he was. I don't know if they're. That doesn't necessarily mean they're done. He might be editing while they're filming, mm-hmm. but he tweeted about right. it earlier. Um, all right. Well, let's get into. Uh, the real focus here tonight, why we're recording this episode, is we're here to learn about Brendan. Hey, Brendan. How we doing, guys? <laughs> Pretty well. Now, uh, it's no secret to listeners um, of Movie Club, Brendan is a friend of mine and Corey's. I met Brendan through Corey, um, and our tradition that has now ended after, what, like five years in a row uh, of going uh, to Halloween Horror Nights together. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's going to come back, guys. One day. Um, I'm sad we had to miss The Shining House. I'm really sorry about it. And the finale of Bill and Ted. Dang it. That's like the final dagger right there. Um, Oh, no. Yeah, it's a little little heartbreaking, but, you know, it's understandable. Corey couldn't make it down to Florida for the first time in a few years, and alas, uh, traditions ended. But um, we, we would go to Halloween Horror Nights every year, and... After the, I think the maybe the first year, maybe it was the second year we did it that I I realized how much uh, we had in common with movies, and then uh, 
you know, I started this whole crazy Burke Reviews thing and went to the Florida Film Festival with Brendan a couple years ago, and then again last year. And um, he's been one of my movie buddies ever since. Now, that's how I met Brendan. Corey, how did you meet Brendan? Um, that music store that we worked at. <laughs> um, I think that he was coming in to sell some CDs, and we really liked the music he was selling back, so it's a good conversation starter. Yeah, definitely. And as I re- so that's how as- we... Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm... I... You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the way that I remember it, I think there was... Oh, God. A, there was a membership system at the time. Oh. Am I correct? Yes. You're right. Yeah. And oh, so now I'm going to sound like a straight-up creeper, but no, it wasn't really me. Yeah, it was not really you. It was a coworker of yours. Uh, violated terms of policy <laughs> and conduct, I'm sure. And Look at how ex- it turned out, though. Yeah, exactly. Extracted my uh, contact information <laughs> from that membership system and uh, reached out to me over the phone. And then, uh, ipso facto, now Corey and I are friends, and I'm not friends with her coworker anymore. <laughs> and I always remember how long we've been friends because of that first record store day. You came in to wish us a happy record store day. So it's more than, you know, it's before record store day. So I think that this is 11. Yeah, and plus you could have strongly deterred your coworker from violating terms of policy, as I'm sure she bounced the idea <laughs> off of you. And you didn't <laughs> Not a thing I you. do. I didn't. That, and I'd like to point out, for the record, that was before I ran the store. So <laughs> I had nothing to do with any of that. Um, just in case any potential employers are out there and they're like, hey, what a jerk manager. Not my fault. So, um, but that, Throw Corey under the bus. That is an interesting story. Now, if you listeners, uh, you might have read a few of Corey's music reviews on BurkeReviews.com, but Corey has one of the most eclectic and somewhat odd music taste in my experience. Um, She's a little all over the place. A lot of the artists that she's a fan of, I've never heard of. And that goes true for Brendan as well. (laughs) Yeah, I'll... I'll stake my claim in that. Yeah, and I'm not criticizing. It's just I am... when. It comes to my music taste. I am pretty straightforward with exactly what my genre represents, I think, as far as even, like, my artists, especially now. Like, when I was a little younger, I was a little more selective, but now I'm very mainstream, and that's kind of where I find my comfort. Um, We can just put this out on the table right now. John pretty much exclusively listens to soundtracks now. Now? It's... Yes. My life is movies now, so it's pretty much... um, I, I every once in a while, like I, I, I found myself really into the Deftones again the other day, and oh, so good. I, yeah, I kind of like deep dove on on old school Deftones I had listened to in a while, um, and then today was the, was the ghost the ghost story soundtrack, so that was not false. With um, Brendan's favorite song, mm-hmm. I really like that song. All I can picture is Casey Affleck with his headphones on singing into the mic. I wish I didn't love him. <laughs> You really shouldn't, but you you know whatever. I I know. Now, um, Brendan, uh, you've been around movies for a while though, right? Like your your dad was um also into movies, right? Or- yeah, yeah. Uh, that's I mean, as we were growing up, that was kind of like the uh, de facto family excursion was, hey, let's go to the movies because the kids will be shut up for at least close to two hours, if not more. <laughs> and we all loved it. So it was like our pastime. And that's 
sort of rooted in like our holiday traditions now is like, you know, on Thanksgiving, while the turkey's cooking, we go see a movie and on Christmas, you know, we open presents and then we go see a movie. That's sort of become the mainstay for us. It's kind of like dissolved into that as everyone's gone their different ways. You know, I have a sister lives in Maine, one lives in Atlanta and my brother lives in Tampa. So, you know, us convening on a holiday, you know, might as well go to the old theater and then argue about whether the movie was good or not afterwards. That's... I remember seeing Bad Santa on one Thanksgiving, and that did not go over well with my mom. Oh, I can oh. imagine. I'm I'm actually not a fan of that movie, um, and I, I don't mind raunchy humor, but for some reason that movie's never sat well with me, and I just can't get into it. Yeah, I didn't have any mind for watching the second one, but the first one I did think was especially hilarious. That was from the uh, the same director as Ghost World, which is I know is a oh. favorite of Corey's. Yeah, I like it Love too. Love it. Just got Criterion. And I got her old DVD because she got the Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, I I have a similar tradition, but it's usually me by myself going to the movies. Um, and that goes back to like high school. Like I had. Well, I guess I wasn't alone back then. I had a friend who had a car. I didn't have a car yet. And that's, we would like, nothing else was open. So we'd go see a movie on Christmas or on like Thanksgiving after we had about as much as we could stand with uh, the family time. So, yeah. Different story, sadder story, I guess. I didn't mean to make it sad. (laughs) (laughs) No way to go. Um, But yeah, this is still like um, every holiday. I'm always like, like, all right, maybe we can go see a movie because, you know, and. My daughter is right there with me. She she's close to liking movies as much as I do. Maybe not close, but she's more, way more than my wife. Uh, my wife likes a movie, but she doesn't need to go to the movies. Where I, like that's my number one outing. So I I, I really appreciate that family dynamic that you have. Um, and you yeah, like, I start getting twitchy if I go too long without seeing a movie in the which, theater. Which you did, right? You said you it's been it was like a week or two uh, after Christmas, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I saw The Shape of Water right before Christmas, and then I hadn't seen a movie for like two weeks. And so, mm. yeah, I was really, really, really itching to get back there. I ended up going to see. I saw The Post. I ended up going to see Paddington Two, even though uh, I hadn't seen the first one. Oh, the first uh, one's really good, yeah. actually. I want to see the second one. Oh, the second one's excellent. I was really surprised at how much I liked it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to hopefully be able to see it this weekend. Uh, it was crowded at every showing at our mall. Uh, I ended up seeing Proud Mary and The Commuter this weekend. Um, oh, I yeah. The Commuter was not so great. It's not so great. Proud Mary was was worse uh, <laughs> oh, story. I, mm, I read a few lines of your oh, yeah, I, I, review. I, but on the bright side, I one, I'm trying to branch out a little bit as a critic because I have predominantly avoided movies I knew I wouldn't really enjoy. And both of those, well, I actually went into Proud Mary hoping it would be great, and it, it isn't. Um, I went in the commuter knowing it wasn't really something I would get into. It's got, it's fine. It's nothing stands out. There's nothing. I I did roll my eyes like real hard at like three scenes, but um, it, yeah. And uh, Liam Neeson supposedly is done uh, with the action movies, um, so that's good because he he is. He's getting. Was he like sixty five? That's a plot point in the movie that he's sixty. That like is legit. Ugh. Like three times, I think he says, "I'm sixty years old." It's like yes, and you shouldn't be in this movie, but it's fine. Because um, again, he's a great actor. I'm not dissing his acting ability, but he is playing a role that doesn't really f- make 
for an action movie, you know, and, and it's the fight scenes were really bad. Um, yeah, but like we need someone killed. Let's uh, force this old Irishman on the commuter train <laughs> to do it. In, in essence, uh, again, it. I, my review's not up yet, but I'm hoping it'll be up tomorrow. I'm waiting on my on my editor to uh, proof it for me. Um, but I, I I think it's one of my funnier reviews. I, I get a little bitey. Um, I've been reading a lot of Ebert's like negative reviews too, so I'm I'm taking. Oh a little... yeah, <laughs> he's he's really good at snapping into a movie, and he'll reveal right away. He'll be like, maybe there's somebody that likes this, but I didn't, and here's why. Yeah, and man. Um, I actually I bought his, his book, his ebook. Um, it's just a collection of his, of his negative reviews, um, and I, oh. it's alphabetical. And I oh, uh, is it the your movie sucks? Uh, I don't think that's what it's called. It's I think it's like okay. I hate 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 this or something like that. <laughs> it's got okay. the word three times. I'm pretty sure it's hate. Um, and like I'm just going. I'm on letter. Uh, I think I got to K. I haven't read every single review, but like I'm I'm mainly reading things either I know or I've heard of. Um, like his review of uh, Happy Gilmore, I read today. It was it was pretty pretty brutal. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know what movie review of his you should read is the original Jumanji, because Ooh. I swear to God, John, you look this up and read it, and you will read everything about the movie that he hated, and then the last paragraph where he describes the movie being like a video game that doesn't exist. And I swear the whole review was used exactly as the template for the new, the film, new movie. The Rock. Oh, it! I promise you. I sent it to my little sister who also saw the movie, and she's like, "Wow, you are exactly right. Like they totally took this review and dissected it, and then made it the new movie." Oh, I'm totally gonna read that. Um, that's awesome. Because did uh, did you see Jumanji? I did. I did. I, I was um, pleasantly surprised about the new Jumanji. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought Jack Black did a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, oh um, yeah, definitely. I thought he was like the strongest element of it, and that scene where he's teaching the girl to how to flirt yes. was probably the best scene in the movie to me. Man, but I mean, it was serviceable. It was just it was too scatterbrained, I guess, for me. Hmm. Like well, it was yeah. fun, it was enjoyable, but I wasn't like dying to see it again or. Yeah. Like, hey, you guys got to go see this. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say, though, your average movie watcher will be uh, over the moon with it because it is – it does hit a lot of the comedic beats. Um, it's definitely one of the funnier movies from last year because a lot of the comedies last year fell real flat for me. Um, you know, uh, like The House and Daddy's Home 2, both of those are Will Ferrell movies. I apologize, Will Ferrell. Um, and, a few, <laughs> you know, other things like that just, just didn't – oh, The Rough Night was so bad, like – um, Girl Strip was great, and Lego Batman was one of the funnier movies from last year for sure. And The Big Sick, which is definitely really funny, but it's also you know dramatic. But um, Jumanji, yeah, definitely uh, hit a lot of the comedic elements that were missing from some of those other films. But I felt like it would have been a movie that I would have enjoyed more watching it in 4DX, but I still don't think it would have made it a better mm, movie. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I still haven't done. It's the got 4DX that very thing. gimmicky, over the top, like. You know, if you're getting shaken around in your seat and oh, yeah. having water spit in your face when a hippo comes out of the water or something. That like, almost seems like it was made for the 4DX experience, really, like, uh, more so than a lot of the other movies. Uh, because it is so video game-like, it's so linear, and, it, you know, you have your MacGuffin, please bring this MacGuffin to this MacGuffin holder over here, and then things will happen along the way. Um, well, 
when I saw The Last Jedi, they showed a 4DX preview for Jumanji, and it was, yeah, probably more enjoyable than my actual, like, <laughs> two hours sitting down in the theater. I mean, it was good enough. I did I did like it, but again, yeah. like, I'm not dying to see it again, and I wasn't raving about it to anybody. Like, there are a half a dozen other movies I would tell people to see before that. Well, yeah, def- I I agree, for sure. Um, although I, I was I was positive on it, partly... I went in kind of expecting to not love it, and so it did way more work than I was anticipating. So uh, it's that managing expectations thing I talk about frequently. <laughs> I went in with, like, low expectations, and they exceeded them. So it had a positive feeling for sure. Um, I think, though, we should turn our attention to uh, 2018 and the movies that are going to be coming out and hear some of the ones that you're most excited about. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, I'm going to go for an obvious one for a starter, just because it's pretty close on the horizon, and I already have tickets for it for oh. the opening Thursday theatrical screening at the Point Orlando IMAX, and that would be uh, Black Panther. Nice. Yep. Um, I think as far as, like, uh, the short circuit of what's in between now and then, that's definitely, like, the biggest one that the the big standout. I mean, it's got Ryan Coogler coming fresh off of Creed. It's got all these heavy hitter. It's gonna be it's gonna be Black Dynamite. I mean, it's gonna be. They said it already outsold every other MCU movie for mm. pre sales on opening day. Yuck. I don't know if you saw that. But I didn't. That's crazy. Yeah, it's gonna be a powerhouse right out the gate. And I mean, I bought tickets on the second day they were available, and there was already like a huge football shape spanning out from the center of the IMAX theater at point. Oh, man. And, I mean, I don't know if it's sold out by now, but I would imagine probably the 4DX that seems to be selling out prior to the IMAX now at this point, which is hmm. crazy. Yeah, and they've is. also, I've noticed, since the 4DX started in March of last year, they've very slowly trickled it to where now it's slightly more expensive than the IMAX. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Because before it was a dollar cheaper, now it's like a dollar fifty more. Yeah. But hey, go where the follow the money. <laughs> I I'm definitely Anyways. looking forward to that movie too. Um, I I am a big fan of both of Coogler's films, um, and so I, I'm looking forward to see what he does next. And uh, you know, I, I'm a I fan just feel of like MCU. There's, yeah, there's no way it's gonna fail. I mean, it mm, just no. it looks like it's got it all together. In a way, one of the standalone. I mean, it was. Like Thor Ragnarok, that was a departure, but it also, like, you knew right away, like, this movie is going to be great. And it was the same with Black Panther, but Black Panther seems to have that more self-serious, like, epic kind of, it doesn't look, like, goofy or funny or self-effacing at all. It looks like it's just going to be. I'm slightly concerned with, and it's not specific to Black Panther, it's kind of become the uh the trend with the marvel movies are uh, i'm i'm really hoping they get a villain right um it's been a while since the villain in a marvel film has been interesting and um developed well like that was my biggest issue with ragnarok i love the movie and i thought kate blanchett was great but her character just it didn't seem to matter i almost wish her character wasn't in the movie solely because i didn't think they wrote the story between uh, her character and Thor very well as far as the just the whole thing and I, I'm hoping because one of the other trends of the superhero 
uh, movies has been a villain that is like the same as the hero. And we already see in the trailer, Michael B. Jordan has armor like Black Panther. And so I'm just, it, uh, that's my one concern. I don't think it'll ruin the movie, but I think it could be like another dud of a villain for for Marvel. And Yeah, see, I I was going to say I couldn't even discern who the villain was from the trailers. I just thought it looked really good. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. discern like any central conflict or anything from it. I was just like, yeah, oh. that's that part's true. And that that could be um, a major factor too. Is like I don't really know what the story will be, and I'm I'm familiar with Black Panther, but not ex- excessively. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I know like... absolutely nothing. Oh wow, nothing at all. I, I like to know a little bit about all of the the comic books, but I don't think I'm very knowledgeable about many other than Spider Man, Batman, and um, Punisher. And even those, I know a lot, but there's so many, I don't know everything. Um, but uh, all right, so that's Black Panther. Corey, are you um, are you going to see that in theaters? No. Really? Yeah, I'll probably skip that one, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you... Corey, you're racist. <laughs> I don't think that that's my problem at all. You, you, you have a movie pass, Corey. You There's live really in no Idaho. I know, but I'm also going to be starting class soon, John. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. That's one no. day. That's one day. I have to make A's. Well, yeah, I'm encouraging you to make A's. I'm a teacher. I would be an awful teacher if I'm like, no, no, skip. I'm not saying skip your class. The movie theater is open, like, every day now. I don't know if you know that. It's not just on your classes. No, only on Mondays. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, then, Brendan, uh, maybe you have one on your list of what you're looking forward to that Corey actually might see. Uh, (laughs) What else are you looking forward Uh, to? um, There's one I'm pretty sure she's going to want to see if she hasn't seen promotional material for it already maybe mm-hmm. just like the pedigree of the people involved will sell her on it but uh it's called annihilation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's uh from the writer director who made ex machina which is alex garland it's got <laughs> natalie portman in it and it's based off some pulitzer prize winning novel which i've not read but i've heard is amazing yeah i've heard that too and the movie just i mean that's another one where from the trailer that i saw can't really discern exactly what's what's going on but oh i cannot wait to see it and find out what the hell that movie's about (laughs) yeah and we have oscar isaac who again looks like he's going based on the trailer that he may not have a as a whole lot of dialogue um, as he tends to get these side character roles, but, um, and Jennifer Jason Lee and Tessa Thompson. Um, she always plays a crazy lady. Jennifer Jason Lee? Not, not yes. always. But, <laughs> like 95.76% yeah, of the time. Yeah, more she often does it than well. She does it well. She is, she is good at what she does. Um, yeah, I, I am very interested in this movie. I'm also, uh, I'm always concerned. Um, apparently, though, the book is part of a trilogy, I think. Um, so there's oh. hope for further films. And I am a fan of sci-fi, so I'm, I'm, I have high hopes. And that comes out um, pretty early, too, February 23rd. That and uh, February 16th for Black Panther. Um, I'm intrigued by this one, but, yeah, I'm like, what's happening? But oh. not really chomping at the bit for it. Mm, I don't know. Mm. I'm what just, about... I don't know what's happening I feel like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, if there's not a hook for what sort of story is going to play out, all you have to go on is the talent involved and the fact that it looks so cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
Fair enough. Well, I mean, and here's another one. And honestly, I can't recall precisely what sort of plot you could glean from the trailer, but based on the talent involved and what I remember from watching the trailer, it looked unbelievable was, uh, you were never really here, which is the new Joaquin Phoenix movie or the next, I guess that's going to be released. He's got a couple new ones this year. Hmm. I have only seen like an image of the poster online. I haven't seen any, um, any trailers for it or anything, but I do love Joaquin. So, the first trailer that I saw was very over-the-top, superlative, uh, the greatest thriller. Like, this is the next big thing. Oh, this girl, Lynn Ramsey, she's going to be a huge deal directing movies in the future. Mm-hmm. But the movie does look great. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, John, but... I don't think I have. I'm looking at um, AV Club's uh, 50 Most Anticipated Films for 2018, and it is on their list... Um, they say it comes out April sixth. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a Joaquin fan too, so I'm definitely uh, most likely going to see. It. I, I mean, odds are I'll see most things that come out. So, um, assuming it actually comes near us, because that's the other catch with this movie is it. I don't know how wide of a release it'll get, but well, there's some other film that he's coming out with, or not that he's coming out with, but that he's in that's coming out with him and Jonah Hill. It's a Gus Van Sant movie, and it's like, oh yeah, you you can't catch him on foot, or you better not. Yeah, try I think to that's you can't get far on foot or something. I think that's Amazon yeah. or Hulu um, film too. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Yeah, <clears throat> and I don't know how I feel about that one, but in comparison to this one, I will definitely take. You were never really here. It looked really cool. Something about like a girl getting kidnapped and he's saving her. It's something to that effect. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that one has Rooney Mara in it, too, though. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't watched a lot of Gus Van Sant stuff, and he's very hit or miss for me. So Yeah, he's very hit or miss for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, One that we – I don't know if you're going by date or just what, what interests you, but uh, there's a film that I, I keep forgetting about and then remembering, and I get really excited, is uh, Thoroughbreds. Uh, oh my god yeah no i'm very excited about that and it's not i i don't think i've seen any of the filmmakers other uh projects at least i can't recall any from memory but that girl from uh me earl and the dying girl and then i mean the girl from the witch they're both great it looks like a very uh macabre kind of heathers like yeah av club compared to heathers Okay, and then it's got a uh, it's uh Corey, your boy, his swan song. It's his my, last movie, I think. Too. So I'm gonna just be like sobbing in the theater. I, yeah. I am also a, a huge advocate for Anton Yelchin films. I love him, and I'm very very sad um, that this is probably gonna be the last one. But it's got Olivia Cook from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl as well, and um, Anya Taylor Joy. Taylor Joy. Yeah. So. I like the cast right away, and I like the uh, the sound of the tone, so I'm in on that one for sure. Yeah, I'm 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 excited about that, but I I tried to uh, minimalize it, but that was definitely like amongst the ones that I was considering bringing up. Mm. I mean, I had probably like a list of ten, but I didn't want to uh, rifle through all of them because some of them I'm less familiar with. That being one of them. Got it. Got it. Yeah. As yeah. far as you know, the. the you know, you try to. I try to base my barometer on like 
the predictability of like how great is this movie going to be you know you know mm-hmm. you you get to know your own tastes and that at a certain point you watch a trailer and you're like that's a movie i'm definitely going to like and then whenever it lets you down you're like oh so much more disappointed because yep. you thought you knew <laughs> yeah and that's i blame the trailer editing companies on that we one. can't yeah that's marketing that's not people get paid a lot of money to do that and they're doing it wrong or they're doing I, it right because well, I'm at the stupid movie and I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, right. I, always, I always blame myself. <laughs> yeah, I was duped again. Um, all right, uh, is there any any other films that are coming out that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a short list. Uh, I can keep it pared down to – there were – there's a few more I could talk about, but there's three that I definitely would like to at least enter into the conversation. Well, let's, um, let's do it. This one – yeah, this one will be kind of a quickie, um, and I am hoping it'll go over well. But it's because I'm a big fan of uh, Diablo Cody. All of her mm. movies so far, I think. I mean, even Jennifer's Body, uh, I thought was wonderful. It was so hated on because that was when Megan Fox was really yeah. kind of at odds with uh, the popular consumer society. She was on the outs and like got, uh, you know, ousted from the Transformer movies and whatever. Anyway, she's not in this movie. <laughs> she has no involvement as far as I know. Um, but it's Diablo Cody and she's reunited with uh, Jason Reitman uh, mm. directing from her script. Again, it's a movie called Tully. And it's uh, also got Charlize Theron as the oh. lead. Um, not the titular character. The titular character is actually played by uh, Mackenzie Davis, who was the replicant in Blade Runner 2049, oh, okay. who uh, she sinks with joy during that mind-blowing scene where Ryan Gosling uh, is trying to reconcile all of the revelations laid at his lap. And then his uh, synthesized girlfriend, Joy, syncs with this replicant, Mackenzie Davis. And uh, then he's got 20 fingers going down the back of his head. And yeah, it's pretty craziness. Anyways, so those are the two leads in this. It's Jason Reitman, who is, I wouldn't say in a slump, but he hasn't really done anything relevant or noteworthy uh, in the public's eye, I think since the last movie he did with Charlize Theron, which was Young Adult, which was a movie I loved that had her and Patton Oswalt. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I don't think I have. I haven't. Yeah, that was uh, that was one that kind of fell by the wayside, and it was on the heels. I think that was the movie he made after uh, Up in the Air, which was the okay. one that brought him a lot of acclaim. I mean, Juno and Up Juno, in the Air were yeah. kind of back-to-back. Um not that I mean, thank you for smoking. Kind of put him on the radar to begin with, but yeah, after that he made that movie with Adam Sandler that kind of got washed away and no one paid attention to. Um, I can't remember what that was called. It was like Men, Women, and Children or something. It was Men, like Women, and Children. About, yeah. I didn't even know about yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was actually all right. Whenever I finally sat down to watch it, but at the same time I was like, yeah, it's probably right that this movie got ignored. <laughs> it wasn't really anything special. Um, but yeah, totally. I think it's going to be, you know, kind of a return to form for both of those who have put out like very substantial products in the past. So I'm hoping it'll be more of the same. I like the reuniting and, uh, Ron Livingston and Mark Duplass are also cast in this film. And I am a fan of, uh, I like Ron Livingston, uh, a bit, but I, I've 
recently found Mark Duplass. I watched Creep earlier, and um, I just watched uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Um, and so I've become a, quite a Mark Duplass fan, so I'm excited to see him in this too. Yeah, I like him. I don't know if I'm as much a fan of like the Duplass brothers, the productions that they've put out. Mm-hmm. I think their stuff is kind of give and take. Um, there was one movie they made, and uh, I think it was called My Brother Who Lives at Home. It mm. might have been some variant of that. It had uh, Jason Siegel and Ed Helms. Yes. Yeah, that yes, was a yeah. very disappointing oh. movie. I really yeah, wanted it movie. to be good. You didn't like that movie. I, okay. I, I, no. I was going to say, I thought that was actually one of the better ones that they turned oh, out in man. that period. Because the other ones that I've seen, I was like, uh, I mean, I get that there's a following for this, but it wasn't for me. I guess to put out, though, I, I didn't hate it. I just, I really went in with high hopes because I was still, at that time, I liked Ed Helms, where now I've kind of soured on Ed Helms. Um, but I still love J- Jason Siegel, so I went in like really excited, and I think it was Ed Helms that I really didn't connect with in that movie. Although, to be fair, I re- as I'm thinking about it, I don't think I gave it a hundred percent of my attention either. So the movie was fighting against whatever else I was doing at the time. So yeah, I mean, out of what they put out, that movie, and there was another one that was with John C. Riley and Jonah Hill called Cyrus that oh, yeah. I really liked. But besides those two, I didn't. I mean, none of their stuff really clicked with me. Oh yeah, I got. I, but I still, I still like him. I mean, I admire him because, I mean, him and his brother, they created this mumblecore genre. I mean, they basically launched Lena Dunham. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Like her first movie was produced by them. I don't feel like that's something to be proud of. Oh, I don't either. I hate. Lena <laughs> Dunham, but I'm just yeah. saying, she's a substantial figurehead, like in entertainment. To mm-hmm. a degree, but whatever. Screw Lena Dunham. I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, what's what else you got on the list, Brandon? Yeah. Um, so just for the fact that it has the, well, projected same release date as Tully, and then this is one we can kind of just breeze past, but Super Troopers 2 comes Ooh. out on that same day, oh, which I'm so very fun. reluctant about, mm-hmm. but I'm still definitely going to watch it and am excited about it coming out even though i'm putting my expectations on the floor yeah um but besides those i mean i I was thinking about doing avengers that's too obvious the predator that's very iffy to me yeah even though Um, it is shane black and i'm i'm all in for that but yeah and there's a couple of movies with the rock that i was kind of unaware of before i started looking at like prospective releases for this year um, including one that's being written and directed by Stephen Merchant. That's about uh, like a family that goes around doing kind of like the wrestler style, small scale wrestling shows, which I uh, was very curious about. But what? I, I don't know much beyond that. It's a, a late year release. Fighting with my so, family. Yes. Yeah, well, I didn't know anything um, about that either. I like that. I like <clears throat> Stephen Merchant. Stephen Merchant. So yeah, interesting. Um, but. The last two that I wanted to mention, one is one that I, when they announced that they were going forward with it, I was totally against it on principle alone because the first one was so good. And I thought I was not going to have any interest in watching this movie. But Sicario 2, Soldado, Uh, that first trailer sold me on it a million percent. That director from Gamora, which I've not seen but had only read like ranting, raving reviews about. 
It looks amazing. It's the same writer. It's Taylor Sheridan. Which he that excites me. Wind River, Sicario, yeah, uh, Hell or, High, Hell or Water. High Water. And yeah, uh, that guy is killing the game as far as screenplays are concerned. Yep. And this one looks outstanding. <laughs> it's just Benicio del Toro unleashed. What more could you ask for? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't love the name. Um, to be honest, like. I think I would have preferred it not being called Sicario Two, um, almost. Yeah. And I understand they're doing that for for you know marketing purposes. But I guess in the past, movies like Sicario don't feel like they should have a sequel. And so when a sequel comes, it almost always is like straight to DVD. And that's why I think I don't like it being called Sicario Two. But um, yeah. I, I am hopeful. I mean, uh, especially now that I know Sheridan is the writer behind it, that gives me a lot of faith. Um, I don't think he would have just wrote some sloppy sequel for the, you know for money. So, yeah. Um, and then the last one. So not to dwell on Sicario two so long because the first one, geez, I could talk about that for the rest of the time. But uh, is Alita Battle Angel? Oh, okay. Which I don't know anything about the property. I don't know anything about the story beyond the first trailer that they released. All I know is James Cameron has been trying to make it for like two decades. Oh, dang. And for some reason, like surrendered it to Robert Rodriguez and took just an EP position for it. And Robert Rodriguez hasn't done anything of note. I mean, the last movie I remember seeing of his was Grindhouse, I think. Planet Terror? I don't even remember what his last movie was. I'm sure he's had something, but yeah, it's been a while since he's had a hit. Yeah, but this looks like a huge, big, mega-budget blockbuster return to form for Robert Rodriguez, which I don't know why he hasn't really had a substantial budget. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, I mean, how big of a budget has he been working on? He's been, like, self-producing all of the stuff out of his own studio and, like, editing the movies and doing the special effects in his garage for, like, the last decade and a half. He's had uh, both the Machete movies and Sin City, A Dame to Kill for um, were, like, I guess the bigger ones that he's done over the last couple years. Um, Okay, but he... But he didn't direct Sin City 2. He only – did he direct a segment of it or what? I'm guessing so because li- it's a directing credit on it. Um, like I'm looking only at his directing credits and that's on there. Okay. It must have been like in the first Sin City, uh, Tarantino directed a segment of the first Sin City. But the yeah. rest of it was Frank Miller. So maybe that was the same it thing. Says, I didn't realize that. On the on the IMDb page for it, it says Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez. Um, for director, okay. so maybe he co-directed. I guess is what it looks like, as far as the credit goes. But man, this Al- Alita movie's got a really interesting cast because there's some really big names um, of some people that I'm a big fan of. But then there's like, like Casper Van Dien's in this movie, like breaking out. Is some, he really? Yeah, like I'm like, okay, hold on. Um, you know, Tarzan himself. Man, uh, but yeah, uh, but then you got. Christopher uh, Christoph Waltz, um, I Aiza Gonzalez who was in Baby Driver, Jennifer Conley, um, Michelle Rodriguez, which that could be yeah. on either side, but Marshahala Ali's in this movie. Oh wow! Um, Jackie Earl Haley's in this movie. Like, there's quite the cast. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And it stars uh, Rosa Salazar, who I saw in Chips last year. Um, oh jeez, she was one of the highlights of the movie, I would say. Um, and she's actually a regular on, well, regular might be too strong, but she's a, a frequent guest on Doug Loves Movies. So I, I'm a fan for those reasons. And 
um, yeah, I, I'm intrigued. I, I'm not the biggest James Cameron fan, so I'm always a little apprehensive when his name is attached. You love James Cameron. I just got you that big box set for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I, think, <laughs> I think that might have hit an iceberg. Um, Avatar? Oh, no! But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that one is... I've heard it's got quite the the buzz online because there are the hardcore fans of the property who are not happy, and then there are people who are weirded mm. out by it, and the people who are excited about it. So, kind of curious to see how that one will play out in theaters. Yeah, I'll probably be there opening night. Hopefully. Oh yeah, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Depending on what it's if it's opening up against anything else, I want to see. But uh, looks like it's expected for July twentieth. But you know that could fluctuate. I heard they just pushed Deadpool up to May. Um, oh yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, they so. bumped it up like two full weeks. It's gonna be open in the heart of May now. Yeah, right before the week before Solo, uh, a Star Wars story, I believe. Yeah, it might undercut that quite a bit. I don't know. My whole hopes for the Han Solo movie were dashed whenever they replaced the directors with Ron Howard. Yeah, I am. I'm concerned. I heard they uh, released the plot synopsis today for uh, Solo: The Star Wars Story. So, kind of intrigued to. I'm not sure if I want to read it or not, but it it was released, so um, the curiosity might win me over. But so those are uh, the movies Brendan is most looking forward to in 2018. Those are something we'll be talking about uh, on the show frequently as what's coming out. And of course, when the summertime gets here, we'll be doing the second annual top five movies summer movie draft. Um, and I hope to win again. Um, so we'll see how Corey and I <laughs> bring their game. Um, that said, we're going to ask a few questions that are movie-related and then get into Brendan's top five. Um, but there's a couple that I want to uh, to ask. One, because uh, I, I think everyone needs to know this. Because you usually ask this question, uh, what movie have you seen most in the theater? And the answer is like four times I saw this movie, five times I saw this movie. So, Brendan, what's the movie that you've seen most in the theater? Yeah, that is, uh, without a doubt, Interstellar. I saw uh, 12 times. And many of those were IMAX, right? Uh, ten out of the twelve. Holy IMAX. crap! Holy heck! <laughs> you are like single-handedly funding Christopher Nolan's IMAX budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so ten, and that's twenty bucks. That's two hundred bucks right there, and then another you figure like twenty-two bucks for the regular admissions. Holy heck! That's a lot of money. Plus, like they... shirts and Blu-rays and. Ugh. I'm, yeah, I'm they, debt because of it. <laughs> oh, no. I was going to say, didn't they, um, it was a little bit after after the release, but wasn't that one of the films that they re- ended up releasing, like that special like fan ticket where you could go on limited times, but it was just too late by then, I think. Oh, yeah, the damage was done by then. Yeah. yeah. They, those never come out in, in enough time to make it work. No. Um, I think I was already at like eight or nine views oh, by yeah. the time they released that. And uh, that would have been great. It would have been a hundred bucks. I could have seen it for. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. That's crazy. But I mean, if you love a movie, I totally get it. So, um, yeah. And it was, I mean, I would happily pay. I actually have a long-term goal. I don't know what the plausibility or realistic, uh, means I could go down to make it happen. But if there's a way that I can run out, the point Orlando IMAX on my 40th birthday for a private screening of interstellar and just invite as many people as I want to, to populate the theater. I want to do that. That would would pay any money. That would be really awesome. 
if it's five grand, I think that's reasonable oh. for 500 seats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're running out the theater for at that point, a movie that's uh, over 10 years old. I feel like they, mm, you should just charge admission or start a GoFundMe. We, yeah, we could plus do it. whatever they'll make on concessions. Shouldn't have to pay know. for your own birthday party. I don't know. Maybe it would I'll, be worth it for that. Christopher Nolan, if you're listening, can we make this happen? Uh, a one-time screening of Interstellar for Brendan's 40th birthday, which will get all that information to your people if they contact us at Burke Reviews um, <laughs> on Twitter, or you can email me, contact at BurkeReviews.com. Um, on bended knee begging. Yes. Please. And we would love for you to, to attend. Uh, you could do a Q&A if you would like. Um, so, you know, just saying. Uh, Brendan, what's the first movie that you remember watching? Like, you know, going back a ways, obviously, but what's the first film? Um, uh, it's a weird question because the movie I remember watching all the time when I was a kid was the first Ghostbusters. I remember pushing that VHS in so many times, but I honestly don't know because I feel like the earliest memory that I have is walking around like to the neighbor's houses to hand out invitations for my fourth birthday party, which was to go see Ghostbusters two in the theater. And I remember going to the theater. I don't really remember like watching the movie in the theater, but I remember handing out the invitations and like going to the theater and being there. And like at one point having to walk out of the theater, I don't know if it was because I was scared or because something was something else was going on. But yeah, so I don't know if I should say Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters 2 because I feel hmm. like Ghostbusters 2 is the one I have a clear, exact memory of like handing out the invitations and like being at the theater watching it. Whereas Ghostbusters, I just have all these muddled memories of like pushing that same VHS in and out and hitting rewind and pause, start, stop, play. I mean, I must have watched that movie a hundred times when I was a kid. Yeah. If yeah. not more. That was the first film I saw in the theater. It was Ghostbusters. And I remember walking around with my mom and dad afterwards and them asking, uh, they would be like, who are you going to call? And as a little kid, like Ghostbusters. And, um, so I've always had a special place in my heart for that film. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got the Ghostbusters soundtrack on vinyl and the Ghostbusters <sighs> two soundtrack on audio cassette. Dude, I had <laughs> yes. the Ghostbusters vinyl when I was a kid and I think my mom sold it when I was in high school. And I'm really sad about that now. Like, I really wish I still had that vinyl. Um, I remember, like, I was probably one of my first uh, records. Period was that uh, that soundtrack. So, um, I even I had like all the Ghostbuster toys. Like, I had the 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 pack and the the trap and everything. And I would like put the oh, album yeah. on and like pretend. You know, it was such a such a great movie. Um, still holds up in my opinion too. Um, oh yeah, for sure. We're gonna skip. I think we've already answered that one. Um, I'd like to hear why Why do you watch a movie or like what pulls you in? You were talking earlier about when you see a trailer and you just know that movie's for me. What is your taste? Yeah, I think, well, it's as you said before when you were describing Corey's musical taste and my musical taste, I feel like it is kind of all over the map. Like I love things from all genres, all types, like – kitschy i like kids movies animated you know serious dramas like you know any genre movie i feel like there's a way you can appreciate it and you can glean 
what you know from movies that you've seen before whenever you're seeing a trailer for something. Mm-hmm. And you also weigh, you weigh that against other trailers that you've seen. You're like, oh, I've been fooled before. Like, one of my favorite trailers of all time, uh, actually, it might be my most favorite trailer of all time, was for the movie Ali with uh, Will Smith. And I did not like the movie at all. Like, it was just below average, in my opinion. Mm. And I haven't seen it in a long time. But if I watch that trailer right now, I want to watch that movie uh, right after seeing it. It's crazy yeah. how effective that can be, the marketing. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It it becomes just like a problem-solving thing that you have to do for yourself. It's like you weigh your tastes and what you like, people that you know. It's like that's when you watch a movie like Bright and you feel betrayed because <laughs> you're, like, no, no. you're like Will Smith you made me watch this movie and same with after earth and like, and apparently know. Ali that's three <laughs> and suicide yeah, squad. You know. Dude, <laughs> Smith, what have you been up to? You good men in black one. Great. Men in black two men in black three. Woohoo. Yeah. I actually don't. I like men in black three quite a bit. Um, again, I'm a, I'm yeah. a big Josh Berlin fan at this point though. So kind of sucker into anything that he's thrown into. Um, I, yeah. So you get those people who are old, reliable, like, you know, the people who seem like they're very scrutinizing. I mean, a pretty clear example would be like Daniel Day Lewis oh, picks yeah. and chooses his projects very meticulously. And like he's bowing out on this new PTA movie, which says a lot for him. But at the same time, it's like, you know, how many movies has he even done in his life? You get these actors that have cr- credentials like James Franco, where he has a dozen movies come out in a year mm-hmm. versus a guy who's had maybe two dozen movies in his lifetime as an actor. Going back to the early eighties, if I'm not mistaken for Daniel day Lewis. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it is really interesting. I mean, and it, you know, um, one of the things I think if I remember correctly, you and I ended up going to the film festival together because you by chance sat next to me at hello. My name is Doris. Um, yeah, yeah. It was a really weird like situation because I I was really uncomfortable because like somebody was sitting next to me, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to sit next to some stranger this whole movie. And then you're like, John, and I'm like, <laughs> what? And, <laughs> um, I was very surprised that it was somebody I knew, and it was you. And um, we both really enjoyed Hello, My Name Is Doris, and I was like, oh, I gotta tell Corey about this movie. I think she'll love it. And then Corey hated it. <laughs> Yeah, um, which has happened several Corey, times. Corey's Corey's tastes are very hard to predict. They are, and like when because that was a movie I was like sure Corey would like this, and then didn't like it, and that has happened uh, with several movies now, especially after a year of doing movie club together. Um, there has been several times where I'm like I think she'll like this. I'm getting better at it now. Although, you are, you are. But you still you threw me off though because I I didn't think you'd like L.A. Confidential because it, it's the no R films that we've watched. She's not been a fan of. But she liked Confidential, but because of it ends slightly differently than the other two noir films that we've checked out. Which she was didn't... it because Kevin Kevin Spacey was in it? It wasn't why she liked it. We're not <laughs> talking about that. But, uh... No, um, I just don't like. I don't know. I don't. I'm very. Pe- I'm kind of pessimistic, but I just don't like when a movie. Oh my god! And what was it? What's the name of that movie with Jack Nicholson? I want to say Little Chinatown. Oh, Chinatown. Chinatown. Okay. Oops. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Well, I just like, and we know what's going to happen to that girl at the end, and I feel like that is like 
she needs a happy ending is essentially what she's trying to say. Uh, here. Yeah. Um, she didn't like brick need, either, which I think it adds good closure. But yeah. for the most part, I, I don't think I can predict what you're going to like. And, and the, a ghost story proves that completely. Cause I would have thought you would like that. Um, but, um, what? but no, Brendan, Brendan, oh, Brendan. I was saying, okay. I, I'm sorry. I did. I didn't say his name when I changed the direction, but, um, cause that was, that's, I've I've seen a lot of movies with you at this point, and I we've talked about movies quite a bit, but I still don't I don't think I can predict. Uh, yeah, and that's accurately. a movie that, based on the trailer, I thought I was going to love it. I was excited about seeing it, and after I, I saw it, I was like, I, I wish I would have gone to see Dunkirk again. I need oh. to know why you hate it, though. But Dunkirk's a great movie. Dunkirk but... is a great movie. You you keep like referencing the part where Casey Affleck sings, and I think we can all. Agree that that's not the best scene. But why don't you like the rest of the movie? I just felt like it was a piss poor depiction of their relationship or like making them endeared to each other. And aside from the Casey Affleck singing the song, which was the lynch, the emotional linchpin of the movie, arguably. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a very big deal in the narrative of them being. You know, she's listening to the song after he died and like, oh, he made this for me. But uh, how about the 10 minute static shot where Rune (laughs) eats pie until uh, while Casey Affleck motionless and expressionlessly stares at her. And then he's wearing a sheet audience just so everybody knows. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like A brilliant, a brilliant, I... a one of the brilliant conceits of this movie, by the way. <laughs> so, and then she uh, cry, she cry eats her way through however much of this pie, maybe a third. It is an enormous, it is a way oversized pie for anybody to bring to a single grieving person. It is enough to feed 20 people a full serving of pie. And she sits there on the floor and eats it in a static shot that lasts probably like from the beginning of the shot before there's another cut. It must have been a full 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure it was full 10 minutes. And then she springs up from cry eating this pie and runs to the bathroom, at which point Casey Affleck's ghost man does a little half turn towards the bathroom to see her in there puking her guts out, all the pie that she just cry ate. It was worthless it was as worthless as that scene is as worthless as a bulimic person eating a meal and then puking it back into the toilet that's what i felt like watching that movie was i wish i could have flushed it away out of my memory oh Oh my god i felt like i don't know uh, i i really like that scene actually Uh, i do too and i feel like it's like showing her like during the morning process and she doesn't think anyone is watching her and yeah, and she just, I, you like, know, so like what? What about what about the two sheeted ghost people looking at each other through the windows? I love that scene. I also love and, that and scene. Tel- telecommunicating with each other, and it's revealed to the audience via subtitles what they are communicating to each other. I don't know about you, but when I'm a ghost, I <laughs> I expect to have those telepathic. Whatever. Except I, I want my subtitles in Comic Sans. You expect you expect to be able to uh, telepathically communicate with other ghosts. This other are, ghost that I don't know. So you have these supernatural powers of being able to telepathically communicate, but 
you can't leave the house where you're at. They're waiting for Come someone, on. Brendan. It's, they're waiting for someone. Like, um, I, don't think, I don't think they're coming back. And then the sheet just falls. I was like, I, well, I felt like that was. Spoilers. If I was uh, watching that movie with, and I don't know if I ever did. I ever describe the circumstances under which I saw this movie. No. You all that you've ever told me is that you didn't like this movie. You hated that song, and that was as far as we got. And I just really need to understand. So no, tell me the circumstances. So. I agreed to see this movie with my buddy Ian and his brother. His brother is also a movie buff. And he's like, yeah, my brother wants to see it. We'll drive out to Disney and, and go see it. He sends me the showtimes. He's like, yeah, we'll meet there tomorrow and go see it. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. I go do my work in the morning, and then I'm over there early and waiting for him. He's like, hey, we're on the way. We're stuck in traffic, blah, blah, blah. You know, just go in. So I go and get my ticket, and I'm like, there's a long line. I'm texting him. It's like getting close to showtime. I'm like, there's a long line, you know. Are you guys close? Where are you at? He's like, hey, uh, we're delayed. Uh, uh, could you get our tickets? And then just, uh, you know, that'll save us some time. So I'm like, all right, I go buy two more tickets. And then he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, hey, I'm just leaving these with the ticket taker. I write his name on it. I leave it at a ticket stand. And then I walk into the movie. I'm like, I'm not missing this movie because you're late. So I'm sitting there waiting. The trailer star, he's like, we're so close, so close. And then I have my phone on silent because the movie's starting, and I am a courteous moviegoer. I always mm -hmm. put my phone on silent. Thank I you. never leave the ringer on. I always have the uh, light on my screen dimmed all the way down so that if I do have to take a cursory glance at my phone, it's not uh, obnoxious to anybody around me. Mm -hmm. So the trailers go, and it's, you know, standard 15, 20 minutes of trailers, and the movie starts, and still not here. Where's Ian? Where's his brother? And the movie starts. I'm watching the beginning of the movie, thinking they're going to come up any second. I'm trying to get myself involved in the movie, and then, you know, it's getting to be like 10, 15 minutes into this movie, and I'm like, wow, they're still not here. I know this movie's been going for a little bit. So I turn my phone up, and I see, oh, I've got like seven missed messages from Ian. And I look it up, and that doofus drove to Point Orlando <laughs> thinking that that's oh. where the movie was. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, my God. So I didn't text him back or anything. I, I was just like, well, the tickets are at the ticket stand. So in the meantime, like, I sit and watch the movie by myself. And it's actually probably better that they didn't show up because if he had been there, I would have been openly – laughing disrupt and you know what actually it wouldn't have been disrupting the movie because whenever i was walking out there's two ladies in front of me <laughs> there's one lady uh one of the staff members of the theater is standing at the door like holding the door open <laughs> and the lady turns to the staff member and goes that is the worst movie i've ever seen in my whole life I will say, in, in your defense, that I was at a critic screening when I saw it in the theater, and um, the critic to my right uh, fell asleep. And I hadn't experienced that before. Um, I felt it was I, a little... I, en I envy that gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But, all right. We do have to end that conversation. We're going to go ahead and shift to our top five movie talk just to keep the episode under a normal runtime. So, Brendan, you're going to uh, be breaking down your all-time top five from five to one. Um, and Corey and I will be commenting on the movies, especially if we haven't seen them. Um, we might have some questions about them or, uh, you know, hopefully these are going to be things that we're adding to our watch list. If we have, I was going to say, um, if we expect, yep. And if we have seen them, then we might have some things to say, especially since you have bashed a movie that we love so much. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But uh, before we let you do that, we always like to give a spoiler warning. So, Corey? Guys, you can go to BurkeReviews.com and check out Brendan's top five movies. Here on, there are going to be spoilers, so you've been warned. All right, that'll do it. Um, Brendan, what is your number five all-time top five movie? Okay, so um, I should give a little precursor in saying that the ranking to me is kind of when it, when a movie becomes beloved and it gets into your realm of favorites, I feel like you kind of lose those points of distinction where you can categorize them as like, oh, here's one through 20, easy. This one's better than number 20. But really it's like once a movie enters into your pantheon of favorites, they're kind of all on a similar level. So uh, I don't I know if I would necessarily like create a disparity between these. I mean, you know, they reach a level where you're like, I mean, you could argue the merits of any of them against each other to try to figure out which one you think is best and you'll never arrive at a conclusion. So just getting that out of the way. Um, number five, I'm going to have to go, and this is the only one, and it has to be a tie because – it comes from a period, and these movies, I love them so much, and they kind of work very well in tandem with each other, is uh, AI and Minority Report, mm. which are both early 2000s Steven Spielberg movies, uh, sci-fi films set in the future, and they just have it all. To me, they have it all. I mean, AI was a movie that, at the time when I saw it, I didn't care for the ending so much, but when I revisited it later, it instantly jumped into one of my all-time favorite movies. And mm-hmm. I've said since I can remember, I think since I've seen the movie for the first time, all I want is for us to reach a level, and we're in that level right now, where I wanted all the technology that's available in Minority Report to be in actuality. And it is, pretty much. I mean, they have the screens where you can put on the gloves and interact with all the media. They have the self-driving cars, even though that hasn't become popularized. I mean, they don't have predictive technology that can <laughs> tell when a murder is going to happen. But but that's a good thing based on that movie. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. But yeah, everything else, like all the practical stuff in it. And then it was probably the last amazing Tom Cruise movie not that he hasn't put out amazing stuff since then but it was the last one before he became so homogenized I feel like mm. all of his movies now he, I mean they might as well all just be called Mission Impossible something yeah <laughs> because he's always he's Mission Impossibling his way through the rest of his career yeah you're not wrong I mean the mummy definitely you could be mummy impossible um <laughs> dude mummy impossible American American impossible yeah yeah. Oh man. Totally. Um, I you know I've seen Minority Report. I've only seen it once, and it was a while ago. But I, I did like it when I saw it. Um, AI has been one on my watch list for a while. Um, I avoided it. I don't know exactly why when it came out. It did get some negative criticism for a while, so I think that just kept me away. Um, and then it was pretty controversial when it came mm-hmm. out because of the fact that it was a Kubrick, it was Kubrick script something that he had. Yeah, that that they had. I don't know if they had. I think they had interacted with each other about it. I don't know if they collaborated on the project, but I know that they were friends and obviously to the point where he could have been trusted with the script. But man, I mean, you watch it now and it plays better than most modern sci-fi movies and the effects are unbelievable. 
Yeah, it's definitely it's I I bought it not long ago. I just have not made it uh into my watching uh so far, but it's going to be one I put an effort into this year. I will definitely watch it before the end of the year. Um it is it's going to happen. So <laughs> Yeah, and I mean as far as Haley Joel Osment, I mean besides Sixth Sense, it, I I mean to me it's way better than Sixth Sense and elevates him beyond that. I mean established him as like such a substantial uh child actor. Mm. But, but there's no way yeah, it's as good as his else. performance in Tusk, right? Like Tusk yeah. has to be. <laughs> That's pretty close as the uh, Nazi <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> Wait, is that Nazi or Nazi? Because yeah. that's a big were difference. They... Yeah, uh, no, they were the Nazi. Oh, that's right. Podcast, that's right. They? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that that was their. Uh... I forgot about I mean, that. It's been actually. a while since I saw it, but that was one one thing I remember from his part of it. <laughs> that is not wrong, sir. Mm-hmm. Not wrong at all. Um. All right, so that's uh, that's number five. We have two movies at number five. First, uh, that's a top five movie first, I believe. I don't think we've had a tie, um, so we'll let that we'll let that in. That's a new thing. Um, Brendan has. I'm going to do that every episode now. Please don't do that. Yeah. Look what you I felt it was warranted because I think they came out one after another, and the vein. I feel like if, if you were to watch them, like if you watch AI and then you watch Minority Report, which that came out afterwards. Like you can see the style, the tone, like the way everything looks, the cinematography of it. Um, I mean, he was just in that mode during that period. And that I mean, those two movies are actually kind of the only reason I'm excited about Ready Player One, because Mm. I don't know much about the novel. I've read some stuff that kind of made me think like, oh, maybe this wasn't really a great choice for him to adapt to the screen. But I mean his sure handedness with that sort of material kind of makes me hopeful for that movie. So, yep. And people are definitely excited about it, but, um, yeah, it's definitely got room to be not so good, but, um, and they're both Spielberg movies. So I feel like they're kind of like, yeah, no, I see. I can see that. Yeah. I'm a big Spielberg fan, which is, I, I didn't realize how many of his movies I hadn't seen. Um, as I guess I'm more old school Spielberg, uh, in my fandom than, than a lot of his, uh, late nineties, early two thousand stuff, but I'm working my way through his, uh, his whole catalog. So, um, all right. Well then, uh, Corey, if you don't have anything, let's have him do his number four. All right. So number four, I actually was going to put this at number five, but then I was like, um, I I'll put it at number four just because of my said arbitrary kind of approach to it. Even though, I mean, there is a rank and file to this. My number one is definitely, I could say, pretty surely it is probably my favorite movie I've ever seen. But uh, number four is, uh, <laughs> go ahead. This is the one you guys can light me up on. MacGruber. Ah, MacGruber. MacGruber. <laughs> and there's so much that goes into it. Like I could have just as easily put Wayne's World in this spot Ooh. because I feel like it has that same kind of renegade, like rebellious spirit to it. And it also comes from an SNL skit was the genesis of it. And Wayne's world to me, I mean, that's comes from my childhood. I've seen that movie. I don't know how many times I could recite so many scenes. And I know John, you are big on Wayne's world as well. I am. But I think that's why I got a tip it to MacGruber because it came out so late and I wasn't really familiar with the SNL origins of it when I saw it. And it's got a hard R rating, which oh. 
you know, to be a very successful, hard R-rated comedy, it's pretty difficult to pull off. And obviously that movie was not successful, so they didn't really pull it off other than the fact that the movie is extremely funny. And without getting too blue and describing any of the scenes, <laughs> if you want to see Ryan Felipe with a stick of celery in his butt, bopping oh, up and down like a chicken, uh, and think that might be funny, that definitely happens in MacGruber. So, um, the I've never even heard of this. Oh, it's uh, Will Forte, Kristen Wiig, uh, Val Kilmer, Ryan Phillippe, um powers booth and Maya rudolph are all cast uh the slash film guys are also big fans of this film if i remember correctly um so it, it did find its audience uh within the critic community despite its low meta score and low high mdb score um i wrote this off immediately when i saw it because after the wayne's world films most of the saturday night live inspired films are not so good right like ladies man superstar night of the roxbury's I thought Superstar was hilarious. There's funny moments, but I definitely prefer the sketch. Um, and, oh, man, I can't even think of the one with the, um, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. What is that called? Yeah, Stuart. St- uh, yeah, Stu- uh, man. Um, the Most of those, I, although I, I will admit, I, that was a guilty pleasure movie for me for a little while it, when it was, like, on HBO when I was a kid. I used to rewatch that film a lot. But um, I, I just kind of wrote McGruber off. But I've heard from a few people now that it's really funny. I might have to go into it and give it a try and of course it's got Kristen Wiig which I think wins Corey over I love her uh, well it was directed I mean by the same guy who does did uh, Hot Rod oh. and who did Pop Star Yorma oh, I really like um, and him and Will Forte are I guess as much collaborators as he is well maybe not as much because they did Lonely Island together but uh, as him and Sandberg, supposedly they've had a script in the can for years with MacGruber too, but it's just a matter of them getting budgeting and uh, figuring that out. But that's like a, a you know a back burner hope for me that that someday will get made, even though we're closing in on God, it's got to be close to ten years since MacGruber came out. I think it was like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Jeez, yeah. So, and I mean his show, uh, Last Man on Earth. Uh, Will Forte show on yeah. Fox has still been going strong and is like every bit as funny as the movie is, but in long form, obviously sitcom, you know, family friendly as it could be. But it's just it, it's refreshing when you've seen so much and then you see this R-rated movie that's just straight goofball. And you see Kristen Wiig before – this is before Bridesmaids. This is before yeah. her star was really lit. Mm-hmm. Um, Powers Booth, who's like a 90s – late 80s, 90s action movie mainstay. And it's just a send-up of all that, of MacGyver, of Rambo, of you know all those – Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, like where the hero is supposed to be this super badass fighter guy who could beat anybody. And the way that Will Forte plays it. And the way that the movie plays it is, I mean, I don't know. Your guys not being familiar with it, I, I don't want to like throw. Well, I have seen some of the sketches um, in, into the dark, but yeah, I saw some of the Saturday Night Live stuff. That was before I stopped watching Saturday Night Live, so I enjoyed the sketches. I just didn't know if they could pull it off as a film. But um, man, I'm gonna have to reach out and try to find this film in a the the most affordable way possible because um, I am intrigued to say the least. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a scene where Kristen Wiig is dressed up like Will Forte's character. She's supposed to be dressed up like MacGruber, pretending to be MacGruber as a decoy, going into a Starbucks to place an order, and she's got an earpiece in her ear, and he's telling her everything to do as though she were him. And that scene alone, I feel like you could watch that scene isolated, and you'll know right away, like, I have to watch this movie. <laughs> All right, I, um, that's MacGruber, number four. Uh, what do you have for number three? Uh, number three, I'm going to go to an old favorite of mine, uh, one that I fell in love with in high school, would be uh, Train Spotting. Yay! Oh, nice. Yeah, I figured Corey would be a fan of that selection there. Um, Finally something I can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was one, I mean, we're fresh off of last year. They had T2. Um, which was unprecedented with how good it was for how long it was between the original and the sequel. Um, but the first one, I was just uh, obsessed with it in high school. I watched it so many times. I read the book. I read the sequel to the book. And I don't know, all of that, it just fascinated me. Like, the, the movie was so funny and, like, the 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 musical cues, like the soundtrack, I listened to the soundtrack, I don't know, ad nauseum whenever I was in high school. Um, they even released, that was one of the few movies uh, that reached a point where they released a second edition of the soundtrack that had all the other songs that weren't on the first edition of the soundtrack. Um, so I've got that, Train Spotting number one and Train Spotting number two. Uh, I've got the poster above my bed. It's been there since high school. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen that movie, but I mean, I had it on VHS. I don't even know. I don't even think I have it on DVD. I think I just watched it so much in high school on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> or it might have been one of those DVDs that, you know, you lend to somebody and mm. lose track of it. And then you don't just, do that. It never finds its way back to your collection. So, yeah, you wait till you get the Criterion version and then you get that Give it away to me. other regular DVD <laughs> to John. Yes. <laughs> So, I, yeah, no, it just had, I mean, this movie was, like, a right movie at the right time. I mean, during your formative years, and you see this crazy story of these Scottish junkie punks running around the streets of Scotland, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know anything about drug culture or, like, that whole subculture or what it could do, but I think that's probably why I was so taken with it, is because it was so foreign to me, not punning on the fact that it's from the uk but yeah <laughs> i mean but you know i i had not seen it until um, my movie challenge two years ago and then i we rewatched it for movie club right before the second one came out um and yeah a, a excellent film and i've become a really big danny boyle fan over the last year and a half um so or two years whatever it is now um so yeah i totally appreciate that being on your list and um if you haven't seen it I recommend it. Corey, do you have anything to add? Uh, I just totally agree, and it's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. And in the second one, where they close on Lust for Life again, and I just felt so good getting up from my seat, and I just wanted to go buy another ticket and watch it again. Um, I'm so glad it was on your list. Yeah, I remember uh, that was why I got a jean jacket. It was because Ewan McGregor's character was wearing a jean jacket in that movie. I was like, and yes, that's for me. They're jerks, but I still love them. Yeah. Oh, they're ter they're terrible. I think that was another yeah. thing about it that fascinated me. It was like there's all these despicable people in it, but they, you know, they're not 
they don't know what they're doing. Like they almost can't control it. And another thing too about that movie and MacGruber actually, I think is similar. Ebert has this theory or I don't know if it's his theory or if he got it from somewhere else, but there's this idea in cinema that a perfect movie can be made in 90 minutes and mm. train spotting is a movie that hits like right on that mark or close to it. And I think MacGruber is right there too of like hitting that, tight 90 minutes and that's tough to do it's yeah. tough to do and make a movie that you would consider like four star quality like i could watch this all day any day i think uh cronenberg i don't know if he actively or openly adopts that but i know a lot of his movies fit that paradigm of like tight 90 minutes history of violence is a great example of that uh, that is a good movie yeah yeah i i haven't heard it uh formulated as a theory but i i do know that um, a lot of critics that I listen to also will will usually uh, if a films, especially if a film's over two hours, they're a little more lenient. I think between the ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes, but it, once it's like one twenty one, that movie's going to get ripped up for not not trimming the fat. So, um, with few exceptions, yeah. few exceptions to that. But um, yeah, that's a good point too. And again, uh, man, um, I, I'm just wanting to watch Danny Boyle films again. I, I really want to rewatch Slumdog. Um, <laughs> I like that movie quite a bit, but there's a there's two scenes. Actually, Danny Boyle needs to chill with the uh, the poop in his movies. <laughs> but aside from yeah. that, um, but let's go to number two. Um, okay, if we're gonna jump to number two, um, this was already mentioned earlier, but uh, oh. it's a movie that I really do believe in my lifetime. Like since I've been born, in my lifetime, I think is the best movie that's been released. Um, and I mean that on every level, like the best categorically, like every aspect of filmmaking is interstellar. It just has it all top to bottom. It has all the elements of filmmaking that make filmmaking great. The reason why we love film, the reason why it overpowers us and makes us hopeful and, and makes you dream of things. And for this movie to have come out in 2014 after, you've seen so much and film has been taken so far and there have been so many explorations in space and adventure. And this movie just managed to do all that and make it seem classic and at the same time, fresh and truly futuristic and the truly plausible is just, I mean, it turned my brain inside out. Yeah. I, I love interstellar when I saw it and it was um, one of the, as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, I made a extensive lesson plan for it and brought it to my students. And um, it, it, I, I'm a big Nolan fan. I, I know he gets he gets a lot of hate from critics a lot of times. And um, I've, I've some of the complaints that I've heard, I, I can see where they're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with it, but um, man, he knows he knows how to make a movie that works for me. I think in almost every instance. Um, and yeah, Interstellar. Uh, I mean, between McConaughey's awesome performance in that movie, um, it, to me, it was the first time I was aware of Jessica Chastain. I, I think I'd seen her in something else, but I wasn't, like, aware of her until I saw Interstellar. Um, and Hathaway's great. I mean, God, it's a movie I haven't watched in a couple of years now, but I need to uh, to revisit. Yeah, I don't think I ever cried so much watching a movie. You could have wrung my beard out and had, like, a puddle on the floor. <laughs> from how much I was, like, just openly sobbing, like unabashedly and that was not just like seeing it the first time or the second time it was 
every single time wow. I watched the movie, it made me cry. Like, for, and knowing every aspect, I'm, I'm like reciting the lines as the movie's playing out, and it's still I'm like falling to pieces. I when he's pounding on the bookcase, he's like, no, 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 no. Oh my gosh! And, go? oh no. and in the wormhole, that is terrifying. But um, I only got to see it in theaters twice and IMAX both times. But um, oh, the second time I. I went alone, but I, one of my, what I loved so much about it is there was this kid, he's probably like 17, 18, 19, and he's so stoked about seeing this movie again and showing it to his two friends, and it was just, he was sitting right in front of me, and I just thought that was super fun, um, you know, because I felt like that was a movie that people were going to see multiple times, and I feel like I've only seen it, I think, maybe one or two more times after I bought it, but, it, like, no matter how many times... I would see it. I would see something new, and it just is. I don't know why I like to be sad in movies, but I love this movie. Yeah, and there's something amazing too from a compositional standpoint, where like you could watch any scene of that movie and use that one scene and tell the whole story of the movie. Like you could go into all of the diversions and the forking and the time slippage, and any scene is a takeoff. <clears throat> excuse me, a takeoff point, and it's like. When a movie is so well composed where you can see the entire movie in every frame, and that's what Interstellar feels like to me when I'm watching it. It's like you could see the whole movie in like every frame of that. You could figure everything out. Like it's telling you everything the whole time along the way. And it, it, it it's a movie that had so many tricks up its sleeve when you're watching it. By the time that you're like, is that Matt Damon? In this movie, like, he's not even, he wasn't in any of the trailers. Like, that mm. movie had the perfect marketing campaign that led up to it. Like, I was stoked. I was ready to watch it. I didn't have any idea what it was about. It's just called Interstellar. It's Christopher Nolan, Matthew McConaughey, something about space. I don't know what's going on. But I want to see this movie. And then when Matt, Matt Damon comes out and you're like, whoa, what is this movie? And when it's like, imperfect contact, you're like, whoa. Dude, there's so I mean that just thinking about it gives me goosebumps and whenever I listen to the soundtrack I feel like I'm sitting oh, in the theater again you hear that ramping up and like the Hans Zimmer score was absolutely I mean to me probably the best work he's ever done yeah the sound, the um, score as far is great. as far as as far as like the score complementing the film and like being memorable and standalone in and of itself I I don't know if I could think of of a score that compares to it it's got such a signature to it. And I think I remember reading an article um, after it was, was released where uh, Christopher Nolan was approaching Hans Zimmer about doing the score for the film. And he didn't know anything of what it was about. Whenever he told him, he's just like, I want music that's going to be like cataloging the relationship of a father and his daughter. And like, that was where he derived the themes from what made up the score wow yeah without knowing it was about space or anything that's pretty crazy yeah and know that obviously they worked together again on um dunkirk as well which i also loved um yeah oh he did the score of all the uh the dark nights as well i think i I read an article um someone had um released before dunkirk that they really hoped that hans zimmer didn't do the soundtrack um who are you yeah. yeah, and that was something when Interstellar came out, they had to put 
they put like warning signs on the theaters like, hey, listen, you're telling us that you can't hear dialogue at certain parts or you think that there's something wrong with the sound. Well, no, it was like a very unique approach to sound mixing where it was like deliberately kind of obscured and there was an overlap to where, you know, you can't really distinctly tell what people are saying at certain parts because the sound, like the music and also like the sound effects, like it's all overpowering you. So you're kind of just hearing like the emotive elements of some of the vocals, like the vocalizations that happen in the movie. And it's just, man, I mean, when he's burning up, getting sucked into the black mm. hole, ugh, there's so much so in that movie. The, the it, big question to me, and I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought I had jumped in. No, you're time, fine. Um, is going to be as, as much as you love this movie, there's this is number two, everybody. This isn't the last movie, so I am so intrigued to hear what your number one is because my god, like, how could something be better than this movie? The, the description you've just given sounds like the best movie ever made. So, what yeah. on earth can be number one? Um, uh, my number one, and it's actually very strange, uh, to me that they came out so close together because I think the official release dates of these movies, um, were only weeks apart. Wow. Um, was uh, Inherent Vice, which was actually wow. Paul Thomas Anderson's last movie. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is my favorite movie that I've ever seen in my whole life. And uh, that's where I make the point of distinction when I tell people I think Interstellar is the best movie and I think Inner or Inherent Vice is my favorite movie. And that's where it becomes like personal preference. You know, you know mm. what you like, you know what jives with you and like I can watch Interstellar and I feel like that's this big broad sweeping tale that anybody could have access to, but then I watch a movie like Inherent Vice and I'm like it is absolutely unprecedented that this guy was able to interpret this material and put it into a film and make it intelligible and me be able to follow it and i loved every bit of it there's not there's no i mean there's no false move in the whole thing which you can nitpick interstellar there's maybe one or two lines of dialogue or like a certain word choice a little bit but inherent vice there is not one false move in the whole movie it's like it's a perfect vacuum sealed absolute it, it's it's so original it's so unique it's like a take on so many different genres but it's its own thing like you guys uh watching noirs this is like a noir but it's also like a goofball stoner comedy that you kind of think oh it, it's playing i mean it's, it plays you the whole time you're watching joaquin phoenix and he seems like he's kind of bumbling his way through the scenes and you're like what is this movie and it's distracting you with all this kind of surface level humor and it's one of those movies that kind of, you know, it downplays your expectations where you think it doesn't know what it's doing. And by the time it pulls it all through in the end, you're like, wow, this movie was working me over the whole time. And mm. I didn't even know it. I mean, it's got Josh Brolin, which should put you over, John. Yeah. It's got Benicio yeah. Del Toro, which should put anybody over. <laughs> um, Martin Short in a, a absolutely uproarious performance as a coked out dentist um it has uh what's her face waterston katherine waterston yeah and that's sort of her breakthrough performance and now she's kind of turning up in a lot of stuff she was in fantastic beasts and where to find them 
and uh, Alien um, Covenant. And Covenant, yeah, which oof, I wish you wouldn't have said that. I wish I would have forgot I ever saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, Inherent Vice has got the central character of Joaquin Phoenix playing this, like, bumbling private detective, Doc Sportello, and, I mean, I... After seeing the movie, which it was very short-lived, it's run in theaters, I managed to see it three times, luckily, before it was gone. And I think when it came out on a digital release on iTunes, I downloaded it immediately and watched it every day for eight days in a row. Man. <laughs> Holy heck. And then I downloaded the audiobook and I listened to that like two times in a row. Uh, I mean, I just couldn't get enough of it. I love it. I still listen to the soundtrack. I actually, whenever I uh, do yoga classes, I have uh, uh, portions of the soundtrack that I play during my class. So I think about that movie all the time. It's always in my mind. Well, I will have you know uh, that Corey has seen it. I have not. Um, But we are doing Paul Thomas Anderson um, month for Movie Club later in the year. And this is uh, one that I have picked that we'll be watching because I need to get it off of my list. That's May that we're doing Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, so we'll be watching Inherent Vice early in that uh, that month, actually. So I will get... I'm sad. Oh, go ahead, Corey. Oh, that I had to see it at that theater, my local theater that I don't like, the flicks that's, mm-hmm. like, super tiny. Um, <laughs> and people talk the whole time. Um, but I'm glad I got to see it in the theaters because I don't remember it even coming to our main theater. So. Yeah, it... it... It had a very short-lived run, and it was just, I don't know, it was very much slept on. I, I felt like it was kind of criminal that it didn't get as, I mean, but honestly, I understand completely, like, having seen the movie, it is a very dense, difficult movie to understand unless you're well-versed in, in film in general, and also in Paul Thomas Anderson, like, just his technique and his approach to storytelling like it's 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 dense and that's a it's a movie too just like interstellar where you could take any element of it any scene and you could play that out and explain the whole movie like you could it, it the whole movie exists in every scene and you could pull out of it and be like oh why is this happening like any question i feel like could be proposed to any scene you could take that and draw that out into an entire explanation of the movie and that's just pta i mean he makes a uh, 70s style movie and when he was making it he went back and used like old actual lenses that they used to make movies during that Mm -hmm. time period and was using that to format everything and so it has this very authentic feel like all the costuming all of the colors all of the the archetypes and the players in it I mean, there's no shortage of talent in any of the roles. Jenna Malone plays a great role. Owen Wilson in probably the best role that he's done since, like, early um, Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. I don't know. It's got it all. Yeah. So, I I, mean, if you guys are going to do that as a movie club episode... Uh, I mean, I'd love to barge in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That, that'll be um, – I, I can get you the date. It's, I think, May 4th, though, um, that we're planning on recording the episode for it. So, um, But that is Brendan's top five movies. Um, we will uh, be back in a, another week with um, – oh, I need to look now. I don't know what our next top five is off the top of my head, but we have more stuff Purple coming. Purple host. Um, well, you know – 
This was kind of this is a early recording. We usually do this every uh, other week now, and we're doing this the <clears throat> interview episodes we're going to do in between the regular uh, format episodes. Um, and we just did our draft episode, which we will hopefully have an update. Uh, on our next episode with um, the nomination points because we will have heard the Oscar nominations and have a clue of who's in first going into the Oscars and then it'll be uh, all up to who wins what. Um, But uh, we'll be doing young adult adaptations for our next episode of Top 5 Movies. So these are young adult novels that have been adapted to to the big screen um, in honor of the new Maze Runner film coming out the uh, the Friday before, which is Maze Runner, A Death Cure. Uh, one that Brendan did not bring up for his 2018 excited for movies, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Brendan, thank you for giving up uh, a couple hours to talk about film with us again and uh, sharing your top five movies. Yeah, no, happy to be a part of it for sure. Thanks for having me. And we will be back, folks. Um, for now, you can follow me on the social medias at Burke Reviews and Corey at Corey R Star two R's on the end. Uh, go to BerkReviews.com, read some reviews. We're hoping to get Brendan writing for us eventually. But for the meantime, I write a bunch of stuff. Every once in a while, Corey or Mike will write something. And um, we have guests uh, from Big Tuna on occasion as well. And um, if you like us, please rate us on iTunes and tell your friends about us. Share share our podcast on your social media. Let people know about Top 5 Movies and Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, until next time, folks, keep it real. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.